guys, welcome to my show, My Steps to Sobriety, with your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a great day. Uh, for many of us, every new day, every new sunrise means a lot because we have been to the brink. We have been in a situation that could have very much meant for us the end. For alcoholics, well, we have been often there, uh, down and out, but that's not the only way that your life can end. And today I've got Chris Gordon with me. Chris has a remarkable story of survival, which he will share with us. And every story of survival ends with similar ways of changing you. And that is why I'm so keen to listen to the man today, because I want to see what he went through and how that has changed him. So I'm looking so forward now to hearing from you, Chris. Chris Gordon, the survivor, welcome to my show. Well, thank you for having me, Stefan. I greatly appreciate it. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to speaking with you. Chris, tell me a little bit about the past. Tell me about uh, your six years ago, your seven years ago. How was your life for you when life was innocent and happy for you? All right, certainly. Um, well, I am uh, the husband to a wonderful woman named Becky, and we have three great kids, uh, Josh, Seth, and Anna. We live in a small town named New Ulm, Minnesota, which, as uh, you may have guessed, sounds German because it is German. Uh, it's a very German town, uh, and I've been uh, living here for the last 18 years. I moved from Michigan, and if you're not familiar with Michigan, it's the state that looks like a hand. <laughs> and all we Michiganders show you where we're from by pointing to our palm on our really? right hand. So I'm from this area, from uh, the Flint area in, uh, in Michigan. And then I moved to Minnesota in 2002. And so uh, around that time, six, seven years ago, uh, my wife was, uh, and is still is, teaching uh, social studies at the local high school. And I am, I was, and still am a, a special education teacher for an online middle school. And this is before everyone else was online because of the pandemic. <laughs> I've been uh, teaching online for the past eight years. Brilliant. Has that got to do with, with Minnesota, the area that you are being very rural? and uh, very, very socially isolated as such due to location? Um, actually, the, the, the online teaching um, was because I, uh, I had been teaching in a uh, school about 50 miles away, which is about, say, I'm going to do a quick math here. Uh, 80 Ks. 80 yeah. kilometers, yeah. yeah. And, and so um, we, at, at one time, at that time, we had one child. Well, uh, we decided, we discovered we we're having twins and driving 80 kilometers one way every day wasn't going to cut it. And so I found a, uh, a closer job, which was about 50 steps away from, uh, 
you know, give or take from my bedroom to the office. It's about 50 steps, you know, depends on uh, how tired I am. If I have uh, more energy, it's more like 40, but if I'm shuffling, could be up to 70. Very good. <laughs> many, many people, uh, many of you as will have, will have uh, adapted a similar lifestyle. Yeah, you are. Yes. You were a trendsetter uh, way before it was trendy. <laughs> yes. Good on not, you. Not many times I can, I can claim to be that, so I will take it. <laughs> How oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure that you have been called many things before. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's one of the more positive way things. I'll take it. Um, so you were quite happily uh, living your life with a lovely wife, three young children, if I can't yes. get right. And then suddenly things did end up not so well. And when I ask many of my patients, they can nail it down to the fraction of a second in the case of an accident, or they can nail it down to, to a short period of time when they suddenly realized, oh shit, um, something is not right. What was that oh shit moment for you? Well, um, I have to say that moment actually lasted, uh, well, there are two moments. There was the moment of uh, when I first scratched my hand, and then three days later is when that, uh, that second more uh, startling moment happened. Uh, what I was doing was I was uh, flying my younger son to the garage because I was helping my wife get our kids off the school on a Wednesday morning. And so uh, my younger son, Seth, was being a little pokey. And so I picked him up and I was flying him back and forth, walking to the garage. And I veered too far to the right. And I scratched my, the back of my right hand on the garage wall. And so I, it wasn't bleeding badly, but I can see there was a break in the skin. Uh, so I put him in the car seat. I kissed everyone goodbye. I waved, waved them off. And then I went back to the house cleaned the wound as well as I, and then I thought I had done a good job, and then went on my day for of teaching. Well, three days later, I wake up and I have this lacrosse-sized bump on, lacrosse-ball-sized ball bump on my right elbow, you know, right about here. And I go into the walk-in clinic, and this is a Saturday. The doctor says, well, it could be bursitis, it could be maybe cellulitis, uh, keep an eye on it and, you know, let us know if anything else happens. Well, 10 hours later, that bump had turned into full-blown, almost elephantitis of my right arm, shoulder, and then starting to go into my chest and my back. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the character, The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yes, I am. I looked like I looked like the Hulk in mid transformation, with puny banner arm on this side and Hulk smash arm on this side. It there's a picture that my wife took of me lying on a gurney. I have both arms like this, and you could just see the difference. It is startling. So uh, my wife takes me to the ER. They admit me, and then immediately they find a problem not only because of my enlarged arm, but because they could not get a blood pressure reading on me because I had gone septic. 
So that, you know, that, that's worrying them as well uh, because they didn't know how long the, you know, if the sepsis was gonna take hold, you know, what effect that would have. And so they kept me on for observation. And then in, in the next morning- No shit, Sherlock. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they would have not just kept you for observation, they would have put a needle into the good side, pumped you full of fluid, would have given you immediately antibiotics. So that all occurred. Can you yes. remember that? Can you remember that? Um, Were you lucid then? I I was somewhat lucid then. Yes. I um I don't. I had. I mean, within this uh, whole experience, I had so many needles in me at one point. I I mean, I'm sure I had needles then, but I can't exactly remember <laughs> clearly. You know. Uh, I hear you. I, had I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, okay. so anyway, uh, the attending doctor in the morning came up to me and said, Mr. Gordon, there, this is beyond us. This is, we can do nothing more for you here. Where do you want to go? And so I immediately said the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, not only because it's the Mayo Clinic, but my father-in-law uh, at the time was a chaplain there and my in-laws lived in Rochester. So I thought this is the perfect place. You know, here I can get treated with, by world-class doctors, and my family can stay with uh, their, uh, with my wife's parents for I'm sure the few days that this would take to get you know to get this all resolved. Surely a weekend. That was not the case. <laughs> um, I'm surprised a little bit. Uh, I have been there when patients like you came in and we certainly would treat something like that rather uh, more aggressively. There would certainly be um, the reason that I would be there because I'm the guy who would be running the intensive care uh, unit and, and being the guy with the, the sharp needles was pretty cool in getting them in um, when others maybe struggle. So it is uh, the intensive care environment would have been very rapidly been been involved in an in in a larger hospital. So do I assume that right that this was more a clinic, a smaller place that you went there initially? It was a it's a smaller hospital. Yeah. Um. You know, it was it uh, serves all of uh, what we call Brown County, and there are maybe fifteen. Uh, small communities within the county. New Ulm is the largest. We have about thirteen thousand, between thirteen and fourteen thousand people in our in our um, in our town, and we are the largest by at least three times. The mm, next okay. uh, the next uh, largest town is uh, about four thousand. Uh, okay, people. I hear you. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, brilliant. Just to set the scene that I can imagine what where you were and how things worked. Because meanwhile, the, you're talking three days, that is now day four, that they say, hey, look, we don't really know what to do with you. Day four of from the scratch to your current situation. Yes. And now they, how did they get you there to, to the Mayo Clinic? Was there an well, ambulance? They were, they were going to actually fly me in a helicopter. Oh. However, a snowstorm was impending. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. So 
the gods and you, you had a bit of a, of a falling out, didn't you? <laughs> well, they knew that, well, I, I think God and I like to keep our, our, our relationship interesting. And <laughs> they, they, he knew that I was going to use a story someday, so we might as well make it a story. I, okay, so, I, I give you that. He is really doing a good job. I give you that. Yes, yes. Uh, he's quite the orator. And so <laughs> they uh, took me by ambulance to the municipal airport, and they wheeled me into the airplane. Now, this is like a Cessna. And they strapped me literally to the inside wall of the cabin. I could barely see out the window like this. I feel like I'm, I'm Houdini, and they expect, you, expect me to escape. And so they strap me in, and they fly me 20 minutes to Mayo. It's uh, 100 miles or um, 160 kilometers around there. Uh, and so they, they, they get me into uh, Mayo and start getting me ready for my first procedure. And, that's, and during that uh, time between the first surgeries, when they you know, diagnosed me with having necrotizing fasciitis. For the viewers out there and listeners out there, necrotizing fasciitis is a very, very rapidly progressing disease where bacteria overwhelm the system and they are sneaky and brutal. And we will hear shortly from Gordon, uh, from Chris, how, try that again. Uh, and we will hear shortly from Chris what that really meant. But you can, you can imagine that uh, the bacteria started in his arm and very rapidly crept up all kind of little paths between muscles, between blood vessels. They just sneak up and up and up and up and start overwhelming the system. Yes, indeed. So, Right now they were all hiding, but they are about to be detected. Mayo Clinic, bring it on. So exactly. what happened then? Well, it's kind of funny you said to bring it on because uh, that was my attitude uh, be, uh, when I was talking with the surgeon before the first surgery. And that offset him a bit because when, uh, it, it, in his experience, and maybe you faced this as well, Stefan, that when you're uh, talking with patients who are about to go into a life-saving surgery, they usually are very scared. Uh, you know, they usually have, you know, tears flowing or they might be panicky. I was quite the opposite. I was joking with them. I had a very uh, go-get-em attitude about it. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie True Lies with yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember the part where he's drugged and he's in the chair and his head is listening back and forth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, exactly. telling, he's gonna tell the guy how he's gonna kill him. Yeah. That's how I was acting. Uh, I, my head was lolling back and forth. I, I kind of looked like a drunk Charles Xavier. Um, uh, uh, and I, I gave this attitude like, let's do this, let's go, come on, you know? And it really upset him a bit. Uh, but that not, not enough where he couldn't save my life, obviously. Mm -hmm. I and think so, uh, 
the, the, there is the, the discrepancy, hey viewers, <laughs> the discrepancy is that what Chris thought would happen and what the search knew that would happen was probably rather disconnected. Yes. <laughs> I think if Chris had this, the mildest inkling um, where the Chainsaw Massacre would end, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, okay, how did it continue your story, man? All right, so uh, they ended up putting me under for about five days from uh, Sunday night. So this is Sunday night now, uh, or afternoon. And uh, I was uh, unconscious until Thursday evening. And, and at that, during that time, I had gone through a number of surgeries, first to debride the um, infected skin and tissue, and and then uh, the second surgery, actually, they were planning on taking my right arm. They, there was no question. The infection had gone so deep into my my forearm that they thought that I that it was going to be uh, just a lost cause. But the occupational therapist in attendance saw that I had hand function. And so what they did was, you might find this very interesting. They uh, extracted a 15 inch by four inch uh, flap of skin from my left thigh and then attached it to my right uh, arm and forearm. And so uh, since this is my thigh on my hand, I call it my fan. <laughs> and I'm thinking of copywriting that. That's right. That's a very good one actually. Thank so you, again, yeah. guys, um, what you, what I've been alluding to is the need for very radical treatment. If you ever ever to see that, uh, it is a horror film called Skinned Alive. Because what you have to do as a surgeon and as an anesthetist, we have to take away the tissue that is very clearly rotten. Because that's what it is. It's, it's galloping body rot. And so you, it might be a little, a little bump down there. Let's say where my watch is, that's the little bump. Mm -hmm. You make a decent incision around it, see what is there, look at the tissues underneath there. And if they look grayish, like rotten meat, well, they have to go. I mean, it doesn't matter what tissue it is. If it is a muscle, if it is a tendon, whatever it is, it goes. So from that little incision there, you might strip the arm and you go up and up and up and up until you basically find tissue that is still viable and that is not, uh, not rotten. And unfortunately, I've seen brutal cases where we took 10, 20, 30% of the, of the, the patient's uh, tissues. And this is, this is one of the most life-threatening diseases and one of the most dangerous things that Chris could have ended up with. So you this is not for the faint-hearted. Yes, ex exactly. Do you actually want to see uh, the extent of uh, Come on the then. Okay, yeah. So very, um, so very few people on my show take their shirt off. So just well, as a warning, that being said, that if our if our viewers want more of that, we can arrange that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, after a few minutes, I'm going to have to start charging. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's here. Uh, 
the back of my hands where it started, it went all the way through my shoulder yeah. and then my chest here down by my rib cage yeah. and then through my back. Yeah. Wow, man. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is brutal and it is an incredibly brutal disease. And well done to my colleagues there at Mayo Clinic. They, they rescued your bacon. There's no doubt about that. And it would have been such a scary thing for your family because yes. here you were, you were, the last memory you had were, oh, come on, bring it on. And then they brought it on, but you were asleep. Um, and that's, that's probably very good that you were asleep for that. Yes. And the way, dear viewers, if, if you know the way it works is that that you do the surgery, you cut back to the to bleeding tissue, uh, then you cover the area and wait and see how the patient behaves. Often enough, there are uh, ups. Well, there always there are ups and downs. Um, blood pressures will be more stable, then it will go off again, and you. You just know this is a really, really, really sick man uh, lying there in the bed. So that's why he had to go back and forth to theater. Uh, if there was, if he was not improving, then they would hunt for more tissue that needs to come out. So this is not a quick fix. And after all, if you don't want to strip someone completely off their skin and off all the tissues, so there is this, this balance between taking too much and taking too little. So this is very much a very dynamic situation for the doctors and a whole team will be involved in looking after a man like Chris. Uh, how was your wife at that time have you spoken I, yeah. oh yeah in fact uh, we've talked that we spoke uh we discussed this a couple days ago i can never fully explain how fantastic my wife is um you know she you know once we knew that i was flying to mayo she yes. loaded up the kids she grabbed their stuff she drove to um drove to rochester and they and then uh she talked to my brother who again lived in michigan uh he lived here at the time still does um he flew he got on a plane and flew right over and so the two of them were at the hospital every day you know visiting me talking with the doctors and she is i mean she held everyone together and you know, there are times when, you know, she, she broke down, uh, you know, understandably, because she likes me. But at the same time, you know, she was a rock. And not, not for our family, but for our friends and for my colleagues. And so it was, it's, I think, I mean, people say that I'm the warrior, you know, have gone through this and have, having survived it. But she is an equally powerful warrior for being able to help hold everyone through and you know keep the ship uh on the straight and narrow and so uh yeah and so but everyone stepped up everyone uh helped out as much as they could um there was a gofundme account uh to help us with uh 
lost wages because as you know, the healthcare system in the United States isn't the best. Uh, and so I had to, um, I started losing, um, you know, uh, pay because I ran out of sick days. And so uh, we had to offset some costs um, and that GoFundMe account, GoFundMe account helped with those lost wages. And then my colleague showed up. Oh, sorry about that. My uh, lighting went down. <laughs> so I don't look like powder, you know, because uh, as you can imagine, uh, me being a ginger, I can get really pale. Um, and so um, we, uh, we had some uh, colleagues come in and bring my kids toys and, uh, and bring dinners. And, and so it was a... It was a good reminder that I should not be a jerk to people because everyone stepped up and was wonderful for us. I'm so pleased to hear that. I'm so pleased to hear that, that, that you had a functioning community around you because you were in for a long distance run and so was your family. Yes. And it's often we are focusing on ourselves here. And, and as you said, on your, and your true story of a survivor, Yet, without your support team, you can't run uh, a, a, a long-distance race. Uh, and I'm not talking here half an hour around the lake. I'm talking here for days and days and days. Wow. Wow. When they woke you up, when they reduced the drugs that you were on to keep you comfortable, what was the first thing that you can remember? I remember being at the bottom of a water slide that was spewing out green liquid. Now, I say that because the, uh, the hallucinations that were brought on by my friend Ketamine <laughs> had me in such a state that I, I, I to this day, I do remember flailing around, being pummeled by green water, and seeing the nurse in the doorway looking panicked because I was less than jovial. I was not the guy who wanted to do that first surgery. <laughs> oh no. Uh, again, for those of you out there, ketamine has got a very bad rap as a, not rap, it is, it is a, it is a widely used drug uh, in the recreational realms. For us doctors, it can be an incredibly powerful drug that is a superb painkiller pain at lower doses. And it is one of the few drugs that actually maintains blood pressures whilst keeping someone asleep. And unfortunately, uh, quite a number of patients can have dreams which are often actually quite nice but that was certainly not the case in in your case here so uh, that's where that all came in so it was a bit of a horror trip the way it sounds and i was i was hoping for a more divine waking up with nurses looking handsome uh i talked the male ones and uh, the females are equally beautiful Wafting around in their white linen, in new. <laughs> no, it was uh, it, it it was it was comical looking back at it now. But uh, yeah, ketamine. I could I could 
spend a, a good day describing the different hallucinations I had. Uh, but they, they were varied and they were, again, comical now. But at the time, I, I had never taken any drugs like that before. So it, was, it really threw me for a loop. Um, um, Chris, Chris, you have to say though, it, yes, it can very much be uh, contribute, or the ketamine can be contributing to those uh, to those visions. But mm -hmm. often patients, regardless of what they are having for sedation, can go through some very traumatic times. Mm -hmm. Their psyche, their brain brings up things where you think, bloody hell, where's that coming from? But sure, ketamine can very much bring those things more out. So it's yes. like a, like a catalyst. Goodness gracious! Um, when 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 you got clear in your head, what was then sort of the first thing that you remember? Well, I remember um, being taken to a another room uh, that didn't have a water slide. Thank you. Um, and then uh, at that time, my uh, my, uh, Becky, my wife, and my brother Jeff, and my father-in-law Bill came into the room and visited visited with me for a good half hour to an hour, you know, to check up on me and see how I was doing. And um, I I had I had questions for them, uh, but I think it was more for them to see that I was okay and that you know while there still were going to be surgeries that more or less the worst was over. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, and that's what we think as doctors, isn't it? And that's what we tell you, wow, you survived. Today is your new birthday. And literally, I've said that so many times to patients. Today, you've got a second birthday because you've made it through that. And then for me as an anesthetist, great. That's it. I've done my job because I'm the hardcore guy. I'm, I'm the dude who goes in, uh, saves lives. And then to be around about that time in your journey, I would say goodbye because now more the surgical people take over, the, the nurses who are dressing you, etc. You don't need intensive care for that. But that's where the real journey starts because so far we are what? Maybe a week into your journey. Um, but that's certainly not where it, where it ended. What happened thereafter? Well, and then, um, after that first night, I uh, was still uh, experiencing some uh, hallucinations. Uh, the next day, let's see, I thought the room flipped upside down. I thought the I thought there were bugs in an open window in the ICU room. I kept hearing the Macarena ad nauseum, where there was no radio. Um, <laughs> I asked my wife to turn off the. Yep, I asked my wife to turn off the TV, which actually was a window. I think she said. And so, you know, I was still getting used to my new normal. Um, I had a huge um, uh, cast on my right shoulder and arm. And for some reason, my pinky had been covered as well in a cast. I thought they amputated it. And so I'm thinking, hey, I could get a robo pinky. I can have this turn into a laser pointer. 
And so I, I can go back into the brick and mortar school and I could use this to, uh, you know, to show kids where on the board they should look. Perfect. As you can see, my pinky is still with me. So no robe with pinky, alas. Uh, but, you know, the next couple of the next couple of days to a week, um, they were getting me back and uh, back in for um, some skin graft harvesting surgeries to start uh, covering up those areas. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if you can see here, but there's a texture to my uh, skin graft here. Uh, they used Integra as a, a base, and then they put the skin grafts on top of the Integra. And uh, they were very uh, worried, especially about the elbow, about it uh, not catching the first time. Uh, but thankfully it did. And then uh, they also had to check on the fan to make sure that they um, that it had adhered as well. And so they would check uh, for blood flow in the fan. And there's always a little bit of uh, uh, drama when they would do that because you know, if it, if it didn't catch, then they'd have to take another hunk out of me. And, and uh, I didn't tell you this, that when they did take the uh, flap of skin from my left thigh, uh, that I, being a runner and a uh, football player or soccer player here in the U.S., I have rather large thighs. I, I have rather big thighs. And so they couldn't close the wound naturally. So they had to take out my vastus lateralis. And they, uh, they attached a knob on each side of my wound and then installed a Jacob's ladder inside there and tightened it up slowly as time went on so it would heal up. And so my left thigh is more of a tri than a quad now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And that, that just shows because one thing is never just one thing. One thing leads to another and another and another. Yes. Crikey. So right now you are in a position that you can barely take in food uh, yourself. You're covered in, well, a cast on the arm and uh, copious amounts of dressings over your chest. Your left thigh is affected. Uh, you're hobbling around. That's probably as far as your recovery has, has gone so far, isn't it? Yeah, I was uh, actually bedridden for the first couple of weeks. And so they also had to put, uh, I forget the, uh, the technical term, but basically air pumpers on my legs to keep blood flow and to keep uh, clots from forming. In fact, I think they found a clot. And so they gave me some Xarelto. They uh, prescribed Xarelto for me to uh, keep the, the clot from uh, getting worse and to keep other clots from forming. Um, so yeah, for the first two weeks, I was bedridden. And then I also had a catheter in there. So that was fun. Um, but eventually uh, I was able to walk. Um, and the, my first trip was to get from my hospital room to the nurse's station, which was six feet away. It was across the hall. And before I had gone into the hospital, a week before, I had run a pie day race. I'm not sure if they have them uh, there in uh, um, New Zealand, but 
um pi day is uh march 14th and it uh, celebrates you know pi you know 3.14159258 so on and so forth oh i see yes and so i ran a uh, 3.14 mile race um and i did that in less than uh 19 and a half minutes so a pretty good clip i would think um, so yeah and so thank you so so to go from that to almost exhausting myself walking four meters was you know it, it was one of those moments where it was a real gut check because i could have gone into a, a depression or you know i i could have you know got started going through some ptsd but i chose the latter i chose not to look at this as woe is me look how far i've fallen but okay this is this is new reality this is where i'm starting let's see how far i can go wow wow may i ask chris uh you believe in god yes i do was your belief your your faith was that the source of your optimism or was it that you did not realize the journey that lie that lay ahead or where did you get that optimism from you know i i think you know part of it is my faith but also when uh becky had told me how how strongly people had stepped up for us that you know they set up the gofundme account they were bringing food and toys to my kids everyone around the world whom i knew was chiming in and sending their support for me wow. to become depressed or negative or pessimistic would have been an entire slap in their face to wow. say you know that well you know what you're doing this for me well i'm still going to be angry i didn't i i couldn't see myself doing that at all and so i felt a a sense of duty to take what they've given me and and run with it essentially or hobble with it yeah. <laughs> oh how beautiful what oh wow because it, that is certainly not a common reaction amongst people who have gone through a life-threatening disease there is there are inevitably there are some some blue days there are inevitably some some hard reckoning days waiting but clearly so far you have have mustered energy from somewhere that is beautiful and it's lovely to hear thank you did that last or were there were there dark days down the line I, there were a couple days when i you know i broke down and cried and it wasn't because of despair or anger it was more frustration <laughs> with the moment like uh the one time i cried in the hospital was it was at 3 a.m and they started weaning me off of uh those stronger painkillers and i couldn't get the sleep my and they had just harvested some skin grafts from my back and so i was laying on my back i couldn't get into a, a comfortable position i was dog tired 
and I just felt this exhaustion and I, I broke down and but after getting that out I was able to you know rest if not sleep rest a little more easily but I needed that relief I needed that stress release and after that I was able to just get you know, metaphorically of course get back on the horse because they tried getting horses in there once and they'll poop all over and you know pick pick the IVs down so um uh, but, it's not a good mix no <laughs> no it is not but the kids love them man wow <laughs> so um yeah so it was i i am very fortunate to say that i you know i i had that drive to stay positive and stay focused on my goal of recovering wow and if i think you are the living example to show what can happen if you can get your powers in your head right when you can muster that that power channel it into action daily action step by step because here you were barely able to reach the nursing station and now we are five years later and now things it's probably unfair if i compare the six uh, six foot uh or make it make it five meters probably something like that the distance then to the nursing station to what you accomplish now that's maybe a bit too too fast too quick but how was it six months 12 months down the line what was your progress uh well um I have to say that while I was in the hospital, uh, my, my brother did buy me an iPad. And one of the first things I remember doing on that iPad was buying a pair of running shoes. So when I got out of the hospital, I was able to, I had new running shoes to motivate me to get running again. Um, so as soon as I signed off on that home therapy that I had uh, partaken um, after my uh, discharge, I laced up those shoes and I went out for my first run and it was awful. It was one mile, the worst mile I've ever, I have ever uh, run, but it was good to get that one started. Um, and then I started doing a run walk method when I, uh, when I would go out for my runs. And then the, the month after um, my home therapy ended, my son and I, who he was six at the time, we ran a 5K here in town. We ran, walked that. And then um, eventually I, there was another 5K a month later that I ran, actually two, uh, one in Michigan, um, right there. And then uh, in October, I, was, I ran a 10K. And I actually ran that on, I think, 41 minutes. And so, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to get almost back to where I was before in terms of running. Wow. 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 Where the hell did you take this energy from? This is such a beautiful story. God, if you can take 10% only from the energy you had to get you going and implant that into other patients, we would go so much further. I'm I'm astounded 
about your positivity in your life. And it's beautiful to hear. Thank you. So beautiful. What would you tell, tell other people who are, who, or what do you tell other people now when, when they go through hard times? What lessons can we learn from you? You know, um, I, thank you for asking that, Stefan. Um, when I do my uh, presentations, when I, when I speak to people, I think of, you know, the, pro the, the thought process I went through. And the first thing I remember doing was thinking of all the good things that I had in my life. And yes, you know, I had my faith, I had my family, I had my friends, all these people who stepped up for us. But I also thought of the small things because a lot of times it's the small things that make life really worth living. And so I thought of the fact that I could binge watch the first season of Daredevil on Netflix because uh, I'm not sure if you picked up on it. I'm a huge geek. And that's when that first awesome season came out. And so I was able to watch that as long as I could, you know, as, as, for as long as I could. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the hospital pizza. You wouldn't think the hospital pizza would be that good, but I guess Mayo paid top dollar for the recipe because it, it was top notch. When I could finally eat it, of course, it took a couple weeks. Um, and so I just thought of all the, all the positive things in my life. And then I thought of also, you know, how I could acknowledge those whom I appreciated. Um, I did a, I, I made an effort to learn all the names of the doctors, the nurses, the medical staff, um, you know, even the people delivering the pizza, you know, because I felt that I needed to show them how much I appreciated them. So I got to know every one of them as well as I could. We, we'd have a little conversation. And, you know, I would also uh, thank everyone on Facebook who uh, messaged me and, um, you know, and donated to our GoFundMe account. Actually, Becky took care of that, but I also, met, I also messaged some people who donated money. Um, and so I want to let them know that they were appreciated. Because I, like, I think a lot of times we think, wow, man, I really like how so-and-so does this. But we never tell them. It's never, you know, they don't know how we feel. So we have to go and tell them. And then finally, it's, you know, I have to give someone else a reason to be thankful. Because it would be selfish of me to say, wow, my life is so great. Too bad for you. And so... I, you know, I try to give people uh, a reason to be thankful and it doesn't have to be anything that costs a lot or anything, you know, like you can rake your neighbor's lawn, you could, uh, you know, say thank you to some, you know, you could you open the door for someone at the store for them, you know, as long as you have a mask on. Um, you can, uh, you know, pick up garbage that you see on the ground. And so what I've done is I've, you, I've, uh, use the uh, game tag as an acronym for this. And so the T is think of all the good things in your life. A is acknowledge you appreciated. And G is give someone else a reason to be thankful. And like the game tag, you pass that on to someone else so they can do the same. Beautiful. We two live actually very, very similar lives. Uh, for for completely different reasons, and without me running long distances, okay, I give you that. <laughs> but 
man this is you you have described the power of gratitude you have described the power of doing good things the little things to say good morning with a smile to someone who is clearly her and meaning it truly meaning it and and uh, spending that that moment to be nice to people regardless if it is the ceo or the cleaner uh, and more often than not i actually rather prefer to spend time with the cleaner than with the ceo yeah and it is uh it is so beautiful it is so beautiful that this 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 life of giving because it it throws back so many smiles and so many nice things back to you it is it is a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's beautiful oh chris you are such a such an inspiration wow thank you wow so you are at the moment you're going uh, or you have been going on to speaking tours and and have been actually quite a motivator haven't you i've been trying to yes um you know, with uh, the pandemic, there not, there aren't a lot of speaking opportunities. Uh, you know, with face-to-face -face, uh, um, events, but I have participated in some virtual events, mm -hmm. and I'm looking uh, to do some more. Uh, for example, I'm doing uh, speaking to a group of business over owners next month, um, and uh, I'm actually I. Hopefully, we'll be speaking uh, at a running expo actually in Rochester uh, at the beginning of uh, September. So and coming, so, full, coming full circle. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Nice. And uh, but I, I'm really starting to talk to um, administrators and event planners in schools so I can communicate with students uh, not only in the primary, uh, but also secondary levels. Um, so I can, you know, help them realize that saying thank you is more than just lip service. You know, being being truly being thankful is a is basically a gift that you're not only giving yourself, but you're giving others. And by everyone doing their part, we can make the world a better place. Oh, so beautiful. That is exactly such a beautiful message that you're sending out there into the ether. And, and that's why you are on my show. You went out of your way to make time for me. And uh, vice versa, I, I want to bring out stories such as yours because they mean so much. And they might just plant that seed into someone who then starts making these tiny little changes that suddenly changes the world around them. And if we do that with free people and they change all their world and pass it on, what a snowball system, what an avalanche we are creating by yeah, being there, showing the good things in people one interview at a time. I'm so, so, so grateful to have spoken to you today. This, is, this has been quite a humbling experience for me and to see your your beautiful strength shining through those no doubt darker days than your brain might let you remember now is humbling very humbling to say the least
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Chris, I would one day love to see a picture of your wife or even communicate with her to actually see this wonderful dynamo, this wonderful power pocket packet uh, that must have been working in the background with three young children, a husband uh, in, in intensive care and keeping it all together. That is a true heroine. So please give her a huge hug from me, unbeknownst. Yes, <laughs> because that is that is hard, hard, hard work and to keeping yes. it together. So guys, if you're listening out there and if you think at the moment you're down and out, hopefully Chris's journey has shown you that there is the most beautiful life out there once you kept walking. And walking might not be walking, it might be crawling. It might not even be crawling, it might be literally moving along centimeter pace. But guys, don't stop moving. Don't stop. You just keep going. Because the shit will be behind you at one stage. You just need to keep going. And a life is waiting for you out there that is so, so beautiful. Because once you have gone through so much shit, you actually appreciate the small things so much more. I could not agree more with Chris. So please, guys, get going. Keep going and make this world a little bit better. Small baby steps, but keep keep making the steps. Chris, so, so many thanks from New Zealand to uh, you in Minnesota. It is beautiful. Thank you very much for being on my show, and I wish you all the best for the future. Eh? Well, thank you, sir. I greatly appreciate the time, and I wish the best for you as well. Absolutely. Look after yourself, guys out there. Bye.